Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. So we're continuing our, our series in, in Luke. Have you ever heard a sermon that's made you really, really mad? I was once in a church where this guy preached on the book of Esther and he so distorted the message of, the, of that beautiful book. I was angry and uh, went out wanting to talk to somebody, complain to somebody, write to somebody uh, about what had been said. And you might have had that experience as well. Somebody said something that you thought, oh, that's really inappropriate or, or that's really a, a pressing a vulnerability and, and you've wanted, you know, and you, you've responded and you've sort of said, yeah, I'm going to complain to somebody or, or do something. I think generally when I get angry, I find it really helpful if I just take a step back and sort of say, why am I angry? Why am I responding this way? What, what is it about that that just happened that has pushed my buttons, that has, has brought this response? And, and, and sometimes I have to ask myself, am I angry over an injustice or am I angry about an injustice towards me? Uh, am I angry about an untruth or am I angry about an uncomfortable truth? And, and perhaps when, when we, we listen to a sermon that makes us angry, it's worth stepping back and going, what made me mad? What made me, what disturbed me about that sermon? Was it, was, was it the fact that it, it actually touched on something in my life? And, and that might be why I've responded in the way I have. Or, uh, it might be that, that God is actually challenging me to grow in some way. And, and, and nobody likes change. Nobody likes being broken and reformed. But Maybe that's, that's what God's doing. Anyway, that's angry sermons that make us mad. In the Bible reading this morning, we heard about a sermon that uh, really made these people mad. In fact, it made them so mad that they wanted to take the preacher and throw him off a cliff. Have you ever been that mad about a sermon? <laughs> and maybe you will do that today to me. Uh, but but that's, the, that's the story. And it's uh, uh, about Jesus, and he's, he, he, of course, and he, he comes to the synagogue in... Uh, Nazareth, and uh, he, he's been, he grew up in Nazareth, but he'd been out ministering, and he'd been uh, moving, in, uh, in the verse before, Luke says he's moving in the power of the Spirit. He's doing incredible things around Capernaum, and around the other cities around the Lake of Galilee, and for whatever reason, he comes back to his hometown on this morning, and he comes to Nazareth on, on a Saturday morning, the Sabbath morning, and he goes into the synagogue, which th- this is a, a, an ancient synagogue, looked a bit like that, so it's a rectangular building, and it had the pews along the sides, not facing like this, but along the sides. And at the front would have been a receptacle of some type where the, the scrolls were kept, the, 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 the biblical scrolls. And they were incredibly valuable for these synagogue communities. And, and the Sabbath service would be, they would arrive and they'd sing some songs like we have. And they would pray together a bit like we have. And then the time would come for the Bible reading. And a pre-selected scroll would be taken out and given to the preacher for the day. And the preacher would select a passage from that scroll and, and read it. And then he'd give the scroll back to the attendant who would put it back in the sacred box. And then the preacher would sit down and everybody would turn their attention to the preacher. And on this morning, Jesus was given the scroll of Isaiah, who was an 8th century prophet, so 800 years before this prophecy. And uh, we know that he went to what we now call Isaiah chapter 61, and he read the first two verses of that, but he also inserted a couple of verses from a, from a different part of Isaiah as well, which was common practice, apparently, in those days. And so he reads these out, rolls the scroll back up, gives it back to the attendant, sits down. Everybody's eyes are on him as he begins to preach. 
And Jesus says something which is absolutely astonishing. And, and, and there would have just been either gasps or just a stunned silence. In, in modern logo, it was a mic drop moment. You know. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. And for some of those that are gathered there, this would have been perhaps the greatest moment of their entire life. They had been living in expectation that God would come and fulfill the prophecies regarding the kingdom of God and that fulfilled the prophecies about the Messiah who would bring the kingdom of God to fulfillment in Israel. And here, this guy has just said, this is happening. This is the moment. So let's look first at what he's actually saying he is fulfilling, what it is that he is fulfilling in this prophecy. And, and Jesus, quoting Isaiah, says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And that was obvious. He'd been working powerfully. The Spirit had been working powerfully through Jesus in the, the region around Galilee. Everybody was saying there is something happening here with this man from, from Nazareth. But it was particularly apparent at his baptism. And you might know that the story that, that as Jesus is baptised in the Jordan River, he comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit, as a dove, descended upon Jesus. And everybody would have looked on and said, wow. The Spirit of the Lord is, is upon this man. Why? Because he has anointed me. So to be anointed meant to be gifted and called. You were gifted in particular ways and you were called to do a certain thing, but it was also messianic language. The long-awaited King of Israel, the Messiah, literally meant, the Hebrew word Messiah means anointed. And so this was Jesus saying through the, the book of Isaiah, I'm the Messiah, I am the anointed one. So I, the Spirit is moving through me because I'm anointed to do something, to proclaim the good news. And that, through those words, to proclaim the good news in Greek is just one word. And it's the Greek word from which we get evangelize from. So we could say that Jesus says, I, I am, I've been anointed to evangelize. And it was a, t a word reserved for the proclamation, to describe the proclamation of some world-changing event, something really cosmic, something on a, on a grand scale, on an empire scale. And so the Roman emperors would, would often issue and evangelise. They would often proclaim some good news, something incredibly good that's happened. And for example, Caesar's birth is described as, the announcement of Caesar's birth is described as an evangelisation. A, the, to, a proclamation of good news. So that's what Jesus is doing in his earthly ministry. And it's a proclamation of good news, particularly to the poor. And God has always had a heart for the poor. And, and a lot of Jesus' ministry involved him, him helping people who were economically deprived. But Economic deprivation, economic poverty is not the only sort of poverty that exists. You can have an impoverished social life. You can be socially impoverished. You can be isolated and cut off from, from others. You, you can be emotionally impoverished, that, that you, 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 feel, you don't feel things, you, you, you lack empathy, you, you lack connection and sympathy with people. And you can be spiritually impoverished. 
You can be poor of spirit, is the language Jesus uses in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus came not just to proclaim the good news to the economically poor, he came to proclaim good news to the emotionally impoverished and the spiritually impoverished as well. And down through the centuries, the church has picked up Jesus' ministry to the poor and, and exercised incredible aid to the poor. Right the way from St. Francis of Assisi running uh, soup kitchens in, all the way through to, to Compassion and World Vision, which is doing huge amounts of thing for uh, of, of good things for the, for the poor and the work of Haida uh, and, and these sorts of things. This has been the, 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 the blood of, of the church. This has been the, one of the core activities of the church. CAP is something we as a local church do. Christians Against Poverty, helping people who are impoverished to get out of their poverty, which is the, the spirit of Jesus. But as good as those things are, they are also a symbol of the spiritual and emotional liberation that the Christian gospel brings. It's a physical activity, but it's also a spiritual poverty that Christianity addresses. And Jesus goes on, he says, he sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Now, the, the original context in Isaiah, 800 years before, was that he was speaking to the exiles these people who were born in Israel, who had been deported to Babylon. And, and the message coming to them through Isaiah originally was, you know, God is saying, we're going to set you free. Uh, but Jesus picks that up as well, and his ministry is marked by setting people free from, from, from oppression, from injustice, and from physical ailments. Jesus released people from the, the physical imprisonment that they were, were feeling. And people can be imprisoned physically, like the exiles were, but they can also be imprisoned socially. They can be imprisoned by the expectations of other people. And I guarantee there's at least a couple of people here this morning who are imprisoned by the expectations of other people. You can be imprisoned by the rat race. You can be imprisoned by materialism, that, that thing that drives you to keep working and to keep changing jobs and to keep aspiring to earn more and more money. That's an imprisonment. You can even be imprisoned by your mortgage. The good news that Jesus proclaims is freedom for the captives. Whatever it is that you are imprisoned by, Jesus is declaring the kingdom of God has come and freedom has begun for the captives. And recovery of sight for the blind. Jesus does that in his ministry. One of his key healings is to heal blind people. The healing of Bartimaeus, just as Jesus entered Jerusalem to be executed, is highly important. It appears in all three Gospels. And as a sort of summing up of Jesus' ministry as he moves towards the cross that Jesus has come to remove the scales from people's eyes, to help them see properly. And there's certainly physical healings, physical removal of blindness that, that Jesus does. But again, it's also a spiritual activity that he's undertaking. You see, we might have 
known about God, we might have heard about God, we might have read about God, but it was only when Jesus came that we actually saw God. That the the spiritual blindness we had, the misunderstandings we had about God, the spiritual blindness we had, which which meant we we, we couldn't see how God was at work in the world or how God was at work in our our lives, was, was removed. The blindness was removed when we saw Jesus and we saw what God was really like. And down through the centuries, the church has picked up this ministry of healing the blind physically. Uh, Christian Blind Missions International, uh, just one organisation which have brought physical healing to the eyes of hundreds of thousands of people. But as good as that is, it is also a symbol of the fact that the gospel ministry of Jesus brings sight to the spiritually blind as well. Jesus says he's come to set the oppressed free. Uh, The word translated oppressed means broken or pushed down or squashed. And there were were people in, in Jesus' ministry who were oppressed by evil systems but also by demons. And and Jesus, a lot of Jesus' ministry was going around releasing the oppression, the spiritual oppression that was was making the lives of these people miserable. And the church has picked this up down through the centuries. We've done uh, opposed demons and we've also, uh, you know, exorcism, but we've also opposed evil institutions. And uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu and uh, the, the movement in South Africa that, that he led is a classic example of where uh, uh, Christians in the church have opposed the things that oppress people. And finally, Jesus says his message of the gospel is a proclamation of the year of the Lord's favour. And this was language of Leviticus 25, the Jubilee. And uh, in, way back in the Pentateuch, uh, God had declared that on the, every 50th year, the economy was reset. So all of those Jews who had gone into slavery were released from slavery. All debts were cancelled. Uh, if you were, the land was to be rested. You couldn't plant a, a, a grain in, in the hand for that year so that it could reset and recover. And, and so this idea was this freedom, this restoration, this overcoming of any oppression, any economic injustice, anything that was working against God's goodwill for his people could be switched around. And Jesus declared, it's here now, again, that the year of the Lord's favour has arrived. And so Jesus comes saying, this is what my ministry is about. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what the work of the Messiah looks like. It's to, to, to come in to deal with poverty, captivity, blindness and oppression, both in the physical realm, but in the physical realm as a symbol of the spiritual freedom he was bringing, the freedom from poverty, the freedom from captivity, from blindness and oppression. Now, you might go, What's wrong with that sermon? That sounds pretty good to me. How, how could you possibly take offence from that? Oh, good news for the poor, freedom for the captive, release for the captives, blind sight for the blind. 
And in fact, the audience of the Nazareth synagogue thought it was a great message as well. They respond positively. They say, all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. And so we get the sense that they're quite pleased with this. There's no offence taken up to this point. They're going, that's a good message. Who can't take on board that one? And if Jesus had just stopped there, it would have been a happy ending. But he goes on. In chapter 4, 20, um, Luke records what happens in verse 23. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you, have, you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarethath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The two stories that, that Jesus recounted were famous ones in the Old Testament where, where God had done a miracle through his prophet for a Gentile, a woman, no less, from Sidon, and in 2 Kings 5, 1 to 14, a Syrian soldier, dreadful enemy of, of the people of Israel. And, and, and what Jesus was highlighting to them was that the kingdom of God was not just for them, it was for the outsiders as well. And a bit like all of us, we, we like to draw boundaries between us and them, whoever them is. And, 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 but the, the gospel is for all people. And the thing that made them mad was that Jesus powerfully demonstrated to them from their own scriptures that they could no longer think that he was only coming to them. In fact, the, the other thing playing into this is a bit of jealousy about Capernaum. They're saying to, they said to Jesus, you've done all this stuff up at Capernaum and it's full of Gentiles. There's a lot of Gentiles in Capernaum. Why don't you come and do the same thing here in Nazareth? Why aren't you doing it here? And this was the very point Jesus made to them. It's not just about us. It's about them as well. The kingdom is not just for Nazareth. It's for the whole world. And so this is, is good news for us. It's certainly good news for us. And, and some of you here this morning have encountered physically uh, the good news. You, you've received liberty. You, you've, 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 you're gaining spiritual insight. You're losing your blindness. You, you've experienced freedom from oppression. You're experiencing the Lord's favour. 
And, and that, in a physical sense, that's fantastic because that is part of the message of the church as it was message of Christ. But it's not the whole thing. There is a spiritual dimension to all of these things. There is a spiritual freedom that's available to you, a freedom from guilt, from the shame of sin. There is spiritual sight available for you. And uh, if you haven't experienced that, I can encourage you after, after the service to head up there to the, the prayer room or if you're online, shoot an email to the church office and say, I want to know more about what is available to me spiritually through the gospel, through the good news that Jesus brought into the world. So it's good news for us in our synagogue here in Windsor Road. But it's also good news for our front lines. There are people on your front lines who probably most of them are not economically poor, but there are people on your front lines who are captives. They're captives of materialism. They're caught up in in the rat race and because there is nothing else in the world except for possessions... From, from their perspective, because they're, because they're spiritually blind, they're trapped and they're just running faster and faster and faster and faster trying to get more and more stuff all the time, not realising that no matter how much stuff they get, they're still going to be empty. And the good news for them is there is freedom for the captives in coming to know Christ. And there are people probably in your front lines who are addicted to things. They're in patterns. There's freedom for them as well. And, and our call and our honour and our joy is to go to them with the proclamation of Jesus. Good news for the poor of spirit. But it's also good news for the marginalised, for those people who are on the extreme edge of our sense of who is in and who is out. The gospel, the good news about the Jesus Christ is for the pedophile. The good news about Jesus Christ is for the ice dealer. The good news about Jesus Christ, that the kingdom of God has come, is good news for the perpetrator of domestic violence. The good news about the coming of Jesus Christ is good news for the terrorist. The good news about the proclamation of the coming of the kingdom is good news for everyone who we despise, even the people who are looting homes of flood victims. It's for them as well. And that might make you mad, but that's exactly what Jesus intends to do. He wants to make us uncomfortable about who we consider to be the ones who Jesus would come for and who we would consider he wouldn't come for. He wants to shake up our perceptions of how far the kingdom spreads. And he even wants to go a step further. He wants to challenge us to be the ones who take the gospel to these people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that the gospel does reach to those who are outside, that you didn't content yourself to save the people of Israel, but you're you laid down your life for the whole world, including even us. And Lord, it's that knowledge which stops us from drawing boundaries around who are in and out, who are potentially saved by the gospel and who are not. 
And Lord, we pray that uh, if, if you've spoken to us today about our, our perception of those on the edge, Lord, that you'll help us to, to get mad in the right way and respond as you would want us to. But we also pray, Lord, that we will see the people in our front lines through your eyes, that we will see the enslavement in their lives, that we will see the poverty of spirit, that we will see their captivity and their, their oppression and their hopelessness, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we will be able to reach out with them that the good news of the proclamation of freedom through the gospel. And Lord, we pray for any of the here this morning who have received the physical benefits of the gospel, who've benefited from the ministry of this church or the ministry of the wider church here, and physically. And we pray, Lord, that they too will experience the true liberty that comes spiritually in the spiritual realm, Lord. Set them free from oppression. Set them free from, from guilt and shame over sin. And set them free spiritually as they are being set free economically and socially. Lord, thank you for who you are and the message you bring to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.